the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Welcome to today's Farm Advisory Service podcast. My name is Malcolm McDonald and I am here with Robert Ramsey, who is a beef specialist with the Livestock livestock team and uh, I've also got Colin Mason who is a SRUC vet on the line as well. Um, this podcast is part of the Winter Planning Project. Robert do you want to just tell us a, a, a quick a quick bit about this project? Yeah so thanks for having us Malcolm. Um, today's pro- or, or this Winter Planning Project was supposed to be a series of meetings around the country uh, helping farmers prepare for the winter and, and you know make some uh, or help some decision making obviously with covid and lockdown and things that plans had to change so instead we've gone with a series of videos so we've now got a quite a few videos on on various topics to do with winter planning available on the farm advisory service website and we've also done this is the third podcast we've done as well uh, just to get some kind of key and current messages out the door um, fairly timely so that's that's what the project's all about Okay, good stuff. Thank you, Robert. Um, Colin, do you want to, this is the first time you've been on podcast, I think, so do you want to give us a bit of background and tell us your kind of role and what you do day to day? Yeah, so uh, I'm a, a vet who works with SRUC Veterinary Services and a uh, big part of my role is, is delivering uh, disease surveillance. So it's looking for what diseases there are out there and uh, uh, how best to identify them, manage them, control them, and inform farmers about what's going on. So that's a big part of what we do. So we have a laboratory network, um, uh, and we have a, a liaison network with all the vet practices in Scotland to to really see what's going on out there and see how that's changing. So what I want to do today is maybe just talk about some of the things that we're seeing at the moment and things that are really relevant at this time of year. Okay, okay. Do you want to tell us, Colin, a bit about what you've issues you've seen coming into the lab, maybe through PMs and uh, just what you're hearing from maybe practice vets as well? What's cropping up right now? So there's a few things that are are particularly relevant at this time of year, uh, as as cattle are housed, as sheep are uh, have already been moved, and uh, you know settling into wherever they're going to be for the winter. So particularly on the on the cattle side. Uh, we're still very much concerned about parasite disease at this time of year. Um, the autumn has been particularly good if you're a lungworm parasite, uh, bad if you're a cow. Uh, so there's been been quite a few diagnoses made of, of lungworm across Scotland and the sort of heavy rain that we had in the autumn and the later part of the summer was very, very good for distributing that parasite across the, the grassland and, and causing infections in cattle. So we see that in a whole range of ways from very severe illness and, and naturally animals dying of respiratory disease at its most severe. Uh, but one particularly to look out for at the moment is just the low-grade coughing and the low-grade uh, lungworm burdens that might be in house cattle uh, and the risk that that might pose for other causes of pneumonia um, like bacterial causes or viral causes, the, the, the thinking is is that if you've got damage to your lungs already because of a low-grade lungworm burden, then that's going to increase the risk of perhaps bacterial or viral pneumonias occurring as well once the cattle are housed. So uh, a real strong take-home message is to make sure that worming programs around housing are comprehensive, 
are going to ensure that cattle enter the house free of lungworm uh, and remove that risk as a pneumonia risk for house cattle. Okay, and, and what classes of stock are the most at risk? Which ones do you really want to concentrate on? Well, it's quite interesting actually because uh, first grazing season traditionally is what we would really think about. So, uh, you know, they, they've met the parasite for the first time and, and, you know, they'll meet more of it in the second half of the grazing season than they will in the first half of the grazing season. So first grazing season, so this year's spring, uh, spring-born calf crop will be be very much to the fore, uh, but also we, we will see it in um, second season grazing animal, replacement heifers, adult cows as well. We see it in a real mix of age groups. So yeah. uh, it, it's quite interesting how we find it. And it will depend a little bit on what immunity these cows have uh, if they're a little bit older. Yeah. No, because that's what I thought. Kind of springborn uh, wean calves are, are generally the class of stock which get most attention. So I just wondered if there's you know other ones we should be keeping an eye on too. It's an interesting one, I think, when you see, um, you know, quite often cattle are clipped and dozed at the same time, and do- clipping and dozing is a weather-dependent, time-consuming job. So it, you know, it's often not done as quickly as we would all like, and, and I do wonder often you know a pour on down the back the reason people don't want to do it with long hair on their back is they're worried to, about clipping it back out but I think the issue for, or personally I would say the issue of lungworms big enough that getting some form of doze onto or into those animals should be the top priority you know the, the clipping them at the same time would be a bonus but the actually getting them dozed is a top priority. Uh, abs- absolutely and uh you know, there's still a lot of cattle we've seen at grass in the last month or so where there'll be quite a high level of coughing in them at grass, which lungworm is, is certainly top of your list of reasons why that might be occurring. So the burdens are definitely there and, and definitely quite real. Uh, and the challenge this year is is all the more. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely something to watch out for. The other thing just to mention very quickly about uh, poor on wormers, they are effective, but... Uh, it's making sure that animals are dosed correctly and that they are, you know, restrained in a race, they get the correct dose of the product and they get it applied in the correct places down the back. Uh, and, you know, just read the data sheet to make sure that you are actually applying it properly because uh, if it's not applied properly, then it ain't going to work properly. And that's that's a very important message as well. So scooting stuff at them as they run past you at a gate isn't the answer. Absolutely not. And I think that's, we, we see that very commonly is, 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 you know, very often it's not that the drug doesn't work. The drug will work fine if it's applied properly. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the, the, the drive past run through dozing is, is tricky. Definitely. I, I, I think people with poor ons are just a bit kind of, they think, oh, well, it's on the beast. So, so that, so that'll do compared to what they, they would uh, kind of intentionally give a drench or an injection. Absolutely. Obviously. And, you know, with, with drenches, whatever class of stock we're talking about, injectable products, drench products, you know, you know, it's in them uh, as long as it's been given properly. Uh, and with any of these products, there's a huge amount of thought has gone into from the manufacturer's point of view, uh, you know, exactly what the dose should be and also exactly where it should be applied so it's absorbed properly. So they've really thought that through quite a lot of detail. Uh, and then it's up to, to you know, the farmers to do, do that properly and then it will work. Where do you stand on clipping, Colin? See, for, you know, for years we've clipped cattle and it's, you know, allows them to 
you know, stops them sweating, keeps them cooler. Where do you stand as far as, you know, pneumonia control and um, health in the shed? Is it is it worth doing or is it something that we, we've done because we've always done it? I think it does help. Uh, it's hard to actually quantify how much it helps because, you know, we don't have that information. Uh, however, you know, particularly if you take this week that we've just had, uh, you know, if you go back to last weekend, it was it was frosts and really, really cold. And then it's become a lot milder. There's huge changes, that, you know, as is always the case at this time of year. And you do see cattle in sheds that are just damp, you know, uh, and then they take a long time to dry out. Uh, and, you know, the hairier the coat, the more of an issue that will be. And that can potentially, you know, predispose to issues. You know, how, how much of a risk that is, it's hard to quantify, and it will depend on all of the local situations that are occurring, you know, in that shed and in that group of animals. But it's a relatively simple procedure to do uh, and, you know, is, is likely to be of some benefit. Yeah, it's certainly one I, I really quite enjoy doing with my own stock. You know, it's quite a nice... The end result is quite a positive thing. You know, they look, you know, a pen of clipped calves always looks pretty good. And whether that makes it worth doing, I don't know, but it's, it's certainly a, a nice process. Yeah, yes. it feels like it tidies them up and it's, uh, it feels like you're setting them up for the winter type thing. But, and it, uh, it saves when anybody else comes in. It saves any awkward questions about whether you've been spending too much time on the sofa and things. You know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> okay, Colin, do you want to tell us a bit about, uh, about Fluke and what to look out for when uh, taking cattle in and what products can be used on Fluke? So fluke, yeah. So just just talking through fluke in a a little bit more. So combination drenches first of all. Uh, um, the the fluke drenches in general terms, you have to think about two things, uh, particularly at this time of year. You have to think about um, the the stage of the fluke infection that you're trying to to treat and and the 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 stage of the parasite that you're trying to kill and. Uh, right now, it's still very much focused on immature fluke. Uh, so that's the first thing. Uh, and then you've also got to think about what degree of potential resistance is there out there. Uh, and that's certainly, depending on area, depending on farm, quite farm specific, uh, it can be quite a challenge. So uh, I think rather than thinking, well, what's the most convenient product to use in terms of uh, you know, oh, it'll it'll do fluke and worms all in one. Brilliant. Uh, think about the fluky side and what's going to work on on your farm. So, uh, you know, triclobendazole as a as a, a an active ingredient, uh, if it works on your farm, uh, is the, the drug of choice for this time of year to kill immature fluke, and that would be the best one to use. Except that we know that there is uh, a relatively high degree. Uh, well, that's maybe a little harsh, but th there is triclobendazole resistance out there, uh, both uh, particularly in sheep. So we, we need to be wary about whether that, that drug actually works or not. So, you know, main message is, is, you know, discuss with your vet on what's going on on your farm, uh, uh, what the history is of, of fluke resistance on your farm, uh, review within your health plan, you know, what is the best drug of choice, uh, focused particularly on the time of year and also on, you know, what actually works on your farm, whether triclobendazole resistance is or is not an issue. And then, you know, depending on that, what other products might be available. So th those are the, 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 the key things to, to think about. The other thing is monitoring and monitoring response um, in that, 
uh, you know, we can do post-drenching efficacy checks, uh, and, or if there are certainly concerns that uh, there isn't a clinical response to a fluticide treatment, then you know, monitoring the effects is really, really important. So yeah, you can sample, you can fecal sample uh, sheep after dosing, uh, either two or three weeks after dosing, depending on the test used to see whether the treatment has worked. Uh, and also just from a post-mortem point of view, just keeping a running check on any animals that die and checking their livers and making sure that they're okay. So uh, those are the important things to, to think about at this time of year. And we, we do see issues with, you know, combination products that they're chosen probably more out of convenience. And I, I get that entirely. Uh, uh, but it really is focusing on what is the active ingredient that is likely to work at your farm level for the for the stage of fruit you've got. And I, I think it's really important to highlight that you know the, the climate's changed, the the fluke cycle, you know, the, the fluke situation's changed, and and so what happened or what worked for you ten years ago is very unlikely to work for you now. And and certainly, particularly on farms, you know, it was always fluke was in the West, on the wet farms in the West, and the East was, you know, fairly well fluke free. And that's largely no longer the case. You know, I think you can be very complacent, particularly with cows. Cows will be less likely to die of, you know, fluke fluke issues, but it will impact the performance and, and have a, you know, potential welfare issue as well. So yeah. it's really important to have that, you know, have fluke in your mind at the moment and, and make sure that we're uh, doing all we can. Absolutely. And there's, there's huge variations between farms uh, and actually within farms. And, you know, there are fluke forecasts available. Uh, you can look at them. Uh, so Nardis produce a, a, a fluke for, forecast. We will do fluke forecasting as well. Um, however, it, by definition, it's very general. You know, it's covering areas and it's covering general recommendations. Uh, and it's very farm specific, as in, you know, a lot of the flucicides still work well, uh, and therefore there is still quite a choice in terms of optimizing your choice of product for the time of year. Uh, but it's very farm specific, and it, within far, you know, there'll be fields within farms that that people farmers definitely know are are problem fields, uh, higher risk fields in terms of how wet they are, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it, it's really thinking about you know, what's going on on your farm and, and particularly what are your highest risk pastures and, and do you want sheep on them at this time of year? Can that be avoided? That sort of thing. We've we've seen quite an interesting change locally. So I'm based in Ayrshire and there's a lot of, you know, high rainfall area and quite a lot of wet farms or heavier soil. So, you know, quite prone to fluke. And it's really interesting that so 2012 into 13 was a really bad winter, a really bad fluke year. And they, at that point, there was guys that were really, really struggling, you know, dozing uh, once a month or once every six weeks for fluke and still not winning. And and they've actually, or some of them have changed their system quite dramatically to, you know, to a period of winter housing, which actually suits in this area. We can still grow grass through the winter. Um, you house your ewes, some of them are even clipping their ewes, uh, winter clipping their ewes, and actually have developed a really pretty resilient winter housing spring grazing type system for sheep so it's it's not necessarily all about products and and treatment it can be about you know breaking that cycle and, yeah, and no. what other advantages I, you can get i absolutely agree you know it, we, we can't over rely on just products and treatments because 
there is some resistance already there and and, and potentially that will that will get worse uh, over you know the next five to ten years so it's it's how we manage this situation how we look at individual risk on individual farms and, and reviewing that with veterinary help to try and work out what best to do and also every year is different and and this year is quite an interesting year on that one as well i think in that um although the last three to four months have been relatively high rainfall and the fields are now wet so uh it's it's favoring the uh the mud snail intermediate host quite nicely there's good good weather conditions if you're a a mud snail right now um but the start of the year was was exceptionally dry, uh, and it was the, the second dry spring on the bounce in the, the spring 2019 was also very, very dry. Uh, so that basically knocked the whole flute life cycle back by you know a month or two at the start of the year because because the, the conditions in the spring were not favorable at all to mud snail development, too, too warm, too dry. So Although you know fluke risk now is 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 increasing, uh, um, and and certainly the, the the risk for the next few months is going to be high. Probably the onset of the fluke season this year was was perhaps slightly later because of the very very dry spring. So every year is different, which means that we need to be thinking about well, you know, when is the optimal time to dose, uh, and you know how do you you focus your your best chances of, of, of dosing most effectively so that you get best use out of your product. Uh, so those are the things to be to be thinking about. We have um, had a couple of cases of acute fluke seen. There's one up in Aberdeenshire, one in the borders. We've not seen any in, in, in the Southwest yet. Uh, and actually one of the, the interesting sort of surveillance tools that vets are using now is uh, to blood sample uh this year's lamb crop or what's left of this year's lamb crop on farms because obviously this is the first year that they've been around and therefore they're, they're being exposed to fluke for the first time uh and uh what vet practices are doing more and more and we're doing a lot of testing for this is just blood sample these sheep for liver fluke antibodies which is one of the first indicators that we get of uh, the fact that the sheep has been exposed um and to see whether they're whether they're negative or whether they're positive. And certainly through October, we got a lot of, of, of uh, fluke antibody blood tests from sheep as a as a checking mechanism uh, that were negative. Uh, so they hadn't really you know got to that stage of the life cycle where where they were showing as antibody positive. So that in itself is quite interesting, and it backs up our thinking that maybe the the fluke life cycle is is knocked back a little bit. So if in doubt, again, it's monitoring uh, whether that's antibody testing with your vet or copper antigen testing, looking at, at fecal samples. These are ways where you can get an early heads up of the fact that liver fluke is there, and then time your dosing uh, around you know best time to do it and obviously from a management point of view as well you've got to fit that around uh, when the tops are out and, and and when you want to to handle use and also thinking around withdrawal periods and you know what you're aiming for for, for target slaughter dates uh, for lambs between now and the end of the year or whenever that is i find it really difficult you know when it comes to a testing and and sampling for fluke for those that have had a significant fluke issue in the past and you know had, had big losses both you know or stock losses and financial losses caused by fluke it's really hard to take a test and then and then trust the test so it's you know it, it's all about having that dialogue and, and that or, or having a discussion with you know a, a trusted vet and get the vet in the team and and 
you know, regularly update, regularly discuss this topic and, and make sure there's big savings to be made if we can reduce, you know, reduce what we're, what we're, or how often we're dosing things, big savings in time and money. But having that discussion and that dialogue is really, really important. Absolutely. Sure that, that's where we're at just now in that, you know, we, uh, as the profession as a whole and as the industry as, as a whole, you know, we need to be seen to be using our medicines as responsibly and as responsibly as we can. So targeted use is really, really important. Uh, uh, there's money to be saved potentially. Uh, and also in the long term, we're reducing the chances of developing resistance. Uh, you know, if we're using product when it's not needed, then that, that increases the chances of developing resistance in the longer term. Whereas if we can target it at the best effect when it's absolutely needed, then then that's the better use. Yeah, I did hear, um, I've heard from a few farmers actually, so there's a lot of fit cows out there at the moment and there's a theory as well that if you fluke them a bit later, maybe the fluke will draw them down a bit, but to me that's a very, very dangerous place to be, you know, I think, you know, controlling that fluke and protecting the, you know, the, the cow for the rest of her life is really pretty important compared to dealing with body condition at the moment, which we can do in other ways. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't. I wouldn't use fluke as a as a means of, of reducing cow condition. And, and a, another thing to think about is 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 fluking cattle is slightly different to fluking sheep, uh, and it depends very much on the age and the immunity of uh, particularly adult suckler cows. So, uh, you know, if you've got a fully mature adult suckler cow, then um, if it's a low grade fluke burden, then they can probably live quite happily with that without any real production effects or ill effects if they've got a high burden however that's a different issue uh, and similarly for uh, younger cattle whether that's rearing or fattening cattle or or whether it's you know first calving suckler cows for example then they're less likely to have as good an immune system and as good an immune response to liver fluke therefore the challenge is more likely to be significant but cattle raise a much better immune response to the liver fluke parasite than sheep do so as they get older and their immunity grows, then you know they, they can live in balance with a low-grade fluke infection a little bit better. Yeah, and another wee thing just to to highlight, I suppose, so all of these products we're looking to use. I think it's important to look at when you're. This is purely from a business advisor end of things. Um, you know, there's there's a trade names, brand names, and then there's generic products too, which are exactly the same. And there's a significant cost saving to be made by having, you know, asking some questions and not just asking for the product that you know. You know, it's Absolutely. it's actually the drug we're needing to use. So, a um, triclobendazole would be the, you know, the standard discussion point. You know, there's there's Fasinex and then there's as the BBC would say, other drugs are available. Other drugs, yeah, absolutely. There's a range of products, and and you're absolutely right. It, it's whenever you are thinking about what to buy, whether it's you know wherever it's bought from, and 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 whoever it's bought through, uh, it, it's drilling down to well, what is the active ingredient, and what is that active ingredient going to do? Uh, and that applies to wormers as well as flucicides. Is is is, and that's the, that's the conversation that needs to be had. Is is the active ingredient of the product mm-hmm. yeah even within even within uh within brands it's good to shop around because i think when you deal with one vet it's quite easy to just go to them for everything but there's no harm in shopping around to other places too to see if the products can be purchased somewhere cheaper too because there can be there can be quite a difference in price when you look into it there, there can be 
it's as long as it's the advice that goes with it is the critical thing uh, because actually what what is the biggest waste of money is uh, a, a drug a cheap drug that is the wrong drug uh, and then well a it doesn't do any good and b it risks actually causing damage so yeah the starting point for me always has to be uh and it, it this is part of the health planning decisions that that, that go on uh is well what is the most appropriate product type for the time of year uh, particularly in relation to uh, the active ingredients of those products. Again, what I'm finding quite interesting this year is that the game seems to have changed a wee bit as well. So we know the vet, the vet industry has has changed pretty dramatically in the last five or ten years. But it's interesting that in some cases, in many cases, that the vets are actually competitive or cheaper on, on some of these dozen products and things as well. So it's, it's worth, if you don't do it, it's worth giving your vet at least a chance to, to price for some of this stuff. Absolutely. And it's part of a whole package of uh, looking at, you know, parasite control, whether it's fluke or whether it's worms, whether it's cattle, whether it's sheep, it is uh, how do you target the products? How do you monitor when you need to use the products? And how do you monitor, you know, the effects of using those products? And, and as we've already outlined in, in the chat that we've been having is, is that every year is different. Uh, the parasites might stay the same, but how they interact is different times. So we've got to think that one through. Yeah, just uh, we've talked a lot about products there, but just uh, quickly say, like you said before, Robert, if you're having serious problems too, then kind of, you know, uh, you know, a dose isn't always going to be the answer. So maybe some of these management options seriously need to be considered, of course, in conjunction with a medicine, but you might need to take a whole system look at it if it's a serious issue. I think increasingly you know, there's a lot of pressure there. You know, we're under under pressure with resistance and then, you know, um, antibiotic resistance and uh, products being taken away. You know, there's a, there's a lot of stuff out there that for most issues on farm, we're, we're really needing to look at the full system rather than yeah, firefighting yeah. all the time. Yeah. yeah. It reminds me of, in the arable world, you call it uh, integrated pest management, where you're looking at not just going straight to the pesticides, but having everything there, whether that's rotation or, you know, you know other means. like So we kind of need that, I think, on a, on a livestock health basis too. Yeah, I, I fully agree. It's uh, a lot of these these things can be managed, uh, not not just through through chemical management. And you know, increasingly, that's the way we've got to go. Is 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 look at the products we've got, use them responsibly, and think, well, how can we avoid using them at all? And that's a really good news story for for the industry, for the the, the quality of the produce that we produce. You know, the, the more we can do, uh, you know relying less on on medicines uh the better and and that is at the heart of you know the, the veterinary health planning approach to this yeah i was just going to say that the vet plan having a proper full-blown proactive health plan on farm i think is the most powerful tool you've got it's, i probably sound like i've got shares in a vet practice and i promise i don't but um you know i think that a constant regular discussion with vet and updating a health plan is really the most important tool we've got. Absolutely, yeah. Fully agree. Yeah, definitely. Okay, Colin, Robert, what what do we need to be thinking about when it comes to cow condition and cows come into shed now and how that condition can impact their health? What are the key things to be aware of? I think the I think the critical thing is assessing what cows are in the shed right now or about to come into the shed and what what is the condition that they're carrying and what reserves are they going to carry that's going to take them through the winter plus also knowing 
what feeds you have to feed them between now and when they carve uh, and what effect is that feed going to have on them? Is it going to cause them to gain weight or is it going to cause them to lose weight? Because uh, the concern is, is is that we've got a lot of cows that are very fit, that are going to have a lot of reserves on board and therefore we don't need to give them quite so much. Uh, otherwise, we're just going to create problems further on uh, as we get to carving. And now's the time to be thinking that one through uh, in terms of how we manage that condition score uh, and how we manage possibly reducing that condition gradually through the winter rather than trying to react very much later on in the pregnancy when it will just be too late. Yeah, yeah. Mature, so, mature cows don't necessarily gain or lose condition quickly either. So if you're going to do it in a managed way, you have to be start thinking about you know taking a bit of condition off them now because you can't do it quickly. And if you do try yeah. to do it quickly, it's, it's going to be uh, potentially dangerous. Yeah. So at the start, you know, at the start of this year or the spring of this year, obviously in the drought and things, we were really worried about grass supplies and cow condition for the you know for the wrong the wrong way whether we would actually have enough grass to graze cows and uh, we know there's a, a bit of a, a forage issue on some farms but in most cases the rain came at the right time and we saw phenomenal grass growth and cows have grazed really really well this year so we've got fit cows generally across the country certainly in this area exceptionally fit cows who've been early housed because the, the weather turned you know, fairly quickly in September, October, winter was upon us. So um, there's a lot of cows housed, very fit, and also on a very, very good silage. So we've got quite a lot of silage results coming back in and there's some powerful stuff out there. So, you know, manipulating that body condition score is going to be difficult. But as we've said, doing it now or starting to do it now in a managed way is so much better and the end result is so much better than if we actually try and starve them starving them at calving time was a and still is a very old-fashioned and not positive way of, of trying to deal with a body condition you land up with a weak calf poor colostrum and and quite a lot of death about if we do that so yeah, yeah. um you know now now's the time and it's interesting we're now a few weeks off christmas um it's not long until we get to that spring calving period. So these fit cows, we need to start making plans for them and, and dealing with that ASAP. Now, yeah. I I always have as a rule of thumb in my head that your ideal cow, you want her in the condition that she's going to carve in. Um, to be honest, you know, if she's going to carve in March, round about New Year's Day, that's where you want her. And then, you know, she just then maintains a condition for the last couple of months of her pregnancy. Uh, and that's that's kind of where I'm thinking. And and, and this year, that's that, that could be, you know, we're not that far off New Year and, and the, the body condition of these cows could be, be quite impressive at that stage. It's interesting, you know, it's a pretty unique UK issue having fit cows because most of the rest of the world view fit cows as being you know the, the, the they are the best cows that they're eh, they've converted a lot of forage into a lot of cheap feed into feed that's on their back it's just the challenge of a long winter and and conserved forage you know we're, we're not having a prairie type system that we just throw them at a eh, at rough grass and they sort themselves out um that you know it, it's interesting we're, we're probably looking at fit cows as a really negative but in some ways, there is a positive somewhere in there if we can make that system work Absolutely. for them. Yeah, yeah. There's there's money to be saved in in, in terms of 
of winter nutrition for all of that. Yeah. The other thing just to, to chuck into to diets at this time of year for, for suckler cows is if there's a, a risk of long bone deformity, which are these dwarf calves that are born in the spring, uh, and we think that nutrition in and around months four to five of pregnancy is what might influence whether you get these dwarf calves born in the spring. Uh, and is that going to be a risk this year? It, it may well be. Uh, it, it's sometimes hard to, to predict that risk, but very often when you get a good grazing season, and a good silage growing, silage making season uh, that that increases the risk of uh, or the chances of long bone deformity in the subsequent pregnancy and the subsequent calving uh, for next year. Uh, so we may well be in that situation this year. And, and the critical recommendations, uh, if this might be a risk, is to avoid feeding more than 75% of the cows dry matter intake as grass silage, particularly in months four and five. Uh, and to bolt those rations out with straw and other low quality forages, which might actually help with the, the, the high body condition score issues that we've got. And then also feeding a mineral that's got higher levels of manganese. So um, 7,000 parts per million manganese at 150 grams of mineral per day is maybe where we should be at. So these are, are pretty pretty good generic recommendations and actually might help with, with managing cow condition as well. There's some people, Colin, would be pushing for mycotoxin binders in there as well is that is that a sales pitch or is there is there well, any evidence that, that helps there is some evidence that uh there may actually be two forms of of long bone deformity uh we don't know the exact cause that's the first thing we do not know the exact cause we know it relates to feeding in the uh the mid-pregnancy stage uh in the in at this time of year so I, I always think well it's the, it's the feeding between november and december uh for your average spring calving herd uh, just after they're housed um so we don't know exactly what the cause is it's something in the silage uh manganese has been implicated and that's something that's fairly easy and harmless to supplement with so we can do that mycotoxins are certainly implicated and there are some forms of a disease that are thought maybe to relate to mycotoxins being fed so yeah feeding a mycotoxin binder at this stage of the year if we want to go belt and braces can also help or have the potential it's interesting that the I've looked into this a little before in the past, and it seems like, like you say, it's not that well understood at all. We kind of know roughly what conditions produce it, but we still don't know what exactly is causing it. So it's, um, I mean, it's very bad if it happens, but it is a, it's a, it's an odd, odd condition. It is. Um, we've known about the disease for 20, 30 years, um, yeah. certainly in Southwest Scotland, uh, and it's seen quite commonly. Um, we actually did a, a, a survey of practitioners, vet practitioners this year, just to ask the simple question, you know, how many how many cases or how many farms have you had that have been affected? Because it's perhaps not something that we, we see in our post-mortem wounds very often because it's a clinical diagnosis. And there are certainly more yeah. farms out there that get this than, than we'll see through the, the diagnostic network that we operate. Uh, so it's, uh, it, it is a more common problem, perhaps. Um, manganese is probably the nearest to a cause that we've got but there's there's definitely something about interactions within that silage what that then binds up and how that then affects skeletal development of a of a, a fetus yeah yeah but like you say the manganese is fairly cheap and and harmless to supplement so if, if that is it seems like that is causing it so if it's if there's a chance it might be an issue you're you, you should be doing making yeah. sure you mag 
in your mineral yeah 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 and we what we do know as well is is this sort of seven no more than 75 percent of the the dry matter intake from silage that that works uh, um, we, we know that that works and, and whatever is causing it, all we're really doing by that is diluting out the, the agent or agents or yeah. whatever it is, you know, uh, so that works and, and that will work well for um, managing cow condition perhaps as well. And even in a year like this, when, you know, forage, particularly straw is, so in, again, where, where we are, there's loads of silage and straw is stinking deer, but the cost of dealing with or, or avoiding long bone deformity will far or will be far less than you know the, the straw cost of uh, adding some straw into that ration will still be cheaper than just allowing long bone deformity to run riot through your head. Uh, yeah. yeah. One other very practical thing is is actually knowing the spread of your carvings, and um, if you haven't done it already crack on quickly and, and get your cows scanned so that you know what cows are likely to carve in what month. So you can really focus the the feeding changes on particularly month four of the pregnancy. And actually, you know, for some cows that's already passed, you know, we're, we're into November, middle of November now. So it depends on exactly when you're carving and the spread of that carving and knowing that is quite important. Yeah. See, just on the subject of PDing, one thing I'm hearing quite a lot of from various people scanning cows is that there's a lot of um, calves that have been bulled. So heifer calves uh, have been caught either by their brothers or by their father. It's just, I think, just to highlight that that's, I think, going to be, there's enough folk talking about it at the moment that it's going to be, I think, a fairly major issue. And PDing your cows is a good idea, but also those strong heifers, I think it's worth having a look at them too, because they definitely go on to cause problems down the line. And it's it's, far from an ideal situation both yeah, on farm and yeah. politically it's pretty sensitive as well it's not it's yeah, not a great yeah. place to be it's yeah. not it's not a good one and uh yeah it it's certainly acknowledges some of the hands yeah yeah we actually had that at home this year um i don't well we took the bull out it was near the end of the kind of bullying period anyway but i think it just must have been you know good good grass and good growth and um the kind of the heifers were coming on quite well so they can hit maturity earlier that's the only reason i can conceive yeah. for like it's interesting yeah. there's the view that like they're moved to more native cattle i think you know mm. it's definitely it's had a lot of positives for the industry but it's certainly that early puberty and early maturing yeah. is happening so those Angus shorthorn that, that, that type that Angus cross, that pretty exposed. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And and it's it's no you know them being early maturing isn't isn't the problem. It's it's our management round about them. Um, yeah. That, yeah exactly. So I think yeah. checking for them this year is worth doing and planning. You know, having a tighter calving period. A you know early orchestration of bull calves or segregation of bull calves for next year would be how to how to avoid that situation occurring anyway absolutely yeah yeah any other any other points you want to cover a couple of quick mentions on lambs and finishing lambs uh one thing we see very commonly uh and it can be one of the the drivers behind poor growth rates and ill thrift is cobalt deficiency uh and um it will affect uh, growth rates. Uh, it will uh, affect the the energy supply uh, through the rumen 
to a growing lamb um, and it also reduces the immunity to parasites as well and it's hard sometimes to know what comes first the chicken or the egg are they cobalt deficient because of uh, parasitism or are they parasitic because they're cobalt deficient the two things go hand in hand so uh, a really really common diagnosis and reason for you know these these late tail end lambs that are not finishing is, is, is that they can be profoundly cobalt deficient. So it's something to check for um, and then consider how best to supplement those. Um, and, you know, oral doses of um, cobalt drenches can work, uh, but they give you a fairly short spike in supplementation. Uh, and it depends on, on how quickly lambs are likely to finish or whether they're, you know, breeding hogs for next year is is whether supplementation by bolus might also help but we see that really commonly um another very quick one on lambs uh which we don't see commonly but it's just worthwhile bearing in mind is uh maybe again tail end lambs that are brought inside for finishing uh is make sure that they find water easily and the water supply is is good and easily visible and easily accessible uh, because sometimes, you know, in some sheds and some shed setups that, you know, it can be quite hard to find for a lamb. And occasionally we see problems with lambs presenting with nervous signs and sometimes sudden deaths because of um, either water deprivation issues or, or essentially salt poisoning, high high sodium levels uh, we can see in these lambs. Um, and it's purely and simply because they haven't learned to find a, a drinking bowl or a water trough somewhere. So simple, quick things to check and uh, avoid for, for managing tail end lambs. I think lambs sometimes, unlike kind of yows and cows, maybe if you've got a few a few leftover lambs to fat and they're more likely to go in a dark corner of a shed than your other kind of classes of stock are, which may, maybe means a bit more makeshift with the water provision and yeah, stuff like that uh, as well. Absolutely. And, you know, they're, you know, if it's hill lambs that are just not used to that environment at all, um, mm. you know, they, they need to learn and, and they need yeah, to, yeah. To, to learn how to, to find it and that's where it is you know and at this stage with brexit negotiations and everything that's on the go i would be inclined if i had lambs in the house i'd be wanting them to be moving and off farm fairly soon you know who knows what the, what the future holds but we do know what the present holds so with a reasonably yeah, good yeah. price and keeping those lambs in the right place keeping them at 12 o'clock and keeping them moving will get them off farm and put some money in your pocket mm-hmm even if they're going at a slightly lower weight than you might ideally like if they've got a reasonable finish and the price is pretty good just now as good as it's been a long time so they're they're as well off and the money in your bank account than the chance of january or february i think well i think when you're intensively finishing lambs particularly yeah. once they're on cake once they're once they're eating hard feed you're really nah, looking no back, for really. you're looking for fat rather than you obviously they're going to grow but once they've got a fat cover on them I would say they should be getting off farm. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Because for one thing, it won't be economical. If they're kind of taking an ad lib level of feed, you need to, it needs to be quite a short, sharp finishing period. Otherwise, it's not cost effective, even at the prices we've got just now. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, thanks, Colin. Thanks, Robert. That's, a, I think, a, a good overview of some of the kind of health issues we need to be considering right now, especially on the cattle front. Um, good kind of top tips, things to be aware of and to be looking out for. So, um, yeah, thank you both for your time. That's very informative once again. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you.